0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of No Dementia Podcast, where we talk about dementia, but also about improving brain health. I'm your host, Joe Tumalo. I'm a volunteer here at Dementia Society of America, where our mission is to enhance the quality of life for those living with dementia, their caregivers, and the community at large. To know dementia, we have to have good brain health and live a beautiful life, regardless of what comes our way. So I interview... Experts in the dementia area, I'm not an expert. I am maybe like lots of you, a typical consumer who is hungry for knowledge and information about understanding dementia, how to deal with the challenges that caregivers deal with. So my approach when interviewing these experts is to be insatiably curious and to help you navigate. This week, I'm excited to have with us Dr. Natalie Edmonds. She's a board certified gerio-psychologist. And she has an amazing website called CareBlazers, C A R E B L A Z E R S dot Check it out. She has a ton of videos on YouTube, really a lot of content, and very, very experienced both professionally and personally as a uh, caregiver for someone living with dementia. Before we start, a quick important message all content, including any potential medical information, is provided as an informational resource only and not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment process. It should not be used as a substitute for professional diagnosis, care, and treatment. Please consult your healthcare provider before making any healthcare decisions or for guidance about a specific medical condition. The opinions expressed and the content shared by me and my guests today are not necessarily the opinions and the content of the Dementia Society of America. Enjoy. Be well. Welcome to the No Dementia Podcast. My guest, Dr. Natalie Edmonds. Welcome, Dr. Natalie.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: Great. Thanks for adding value to our programming. Dr. Natalie, uh, Dr. Natalie or Dr. Edmonds?
1: Oh, well, you could just call me Natalie, but most people call me Natalie, Dr. Natalie, the people who follow me, but Natalie is just <laughs> fine.
0: <laughs> so you are a board certified new word of learning, gyro psychologist?
1: Yes, correct.
0: And founder of Dementia Care Blazers? Yes. Love that title. How'd you come up with Care Blazers?
1: Okay, so I was working at a busy hospital over 13 years, specializing in dementia and helping caregivers through that whole process. And I was seeing patient after patient. They were all going through the same struggles, same questions. They all felt so alone. And I just wanted to do more to help. So I had this idea what if I took the most common challenges and questions I was seeing daily at the hospital and just started talking about them online? But in my head, I was like, well, what do I call it? Well, what do I say? And so I was kind of stuck on that. And I went for a trail hike out here in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, with my dog and my husband. And at the trailhead, there was a sign called, uh, there was a sign that said, no trailblazing. And it, a light Bob went out. And I thought, we absolutely need to trailblaze when it comes to caregiving. So much about caregiving is about, uh, burnout and stress and frustration. And the the statistics on average caregiving are really alarming when you look at them. And I thought, I want to blaze a new path for the way we think about dementia caregiving. So then it just became Careblazer instead of Trailblazer.
0: What does Trailblazer mean? I mean, I heard the term, but I didn't really know.
1: It's basically know. like blazing a new trail. We do lots of hiking out here in Arizona. So you want to stay on the trail and not go off of it. Okay.
0: Very cool. And so now that I understand Trailblazer, Careblazer is staying. We're creating a
1: new way for people to care for their loved ones with dementia. We believe that it's absolutely possible to live a fulfilling life, to absolutely pursue your goals, to have great relationships with your person with dementia. It doesn't have to be filled with frustration and anger and upset and overwhelm. There are tools and resources that can help. And so that's the message we try to relay and what we work on with the people who work with us.
0: And you have an amazing YouTube channel.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Hundreds of videos.
1: Yeah, I don't know the exact number now, but it's probably at least several hundred free videos anybody can go watch. And that's how that idea happened. Just turning on my camera and answering common questions that I was seeing in the hospital.
0: And I watched several of them, of course. And one I watched the other day was about your personal journey with dementia, not just professionally, but personally.
1: Yes. That's been a touchy topic. It's fairly recent. Um, Well, first Mm -hmm. I had a mom. She passed away in June and my mom had a fifth grade education. She's from Bosnia. English is her third language. Hmm. When you learn about how dementia is diagnosed and the assessments and testing involved, my mom has never had formal dementia testing. Did she have cognitive impairment? Absolutely. And you'll talk to many people who their loved one never received a formal diagnosis or formal testing for several different reasons. Maybe it's a case where it's my mom and there's nobody to offer that standardized testing in her situation, or perhaps the person just was not willing to go through the testing, or maybe they didn't have access to a specialist to do the testing. Um, So that was a situation. She passed away in June. I'm currently dealing with my father. That's a very recent, very raw. And what I have found being on the online space, I've always approached I have always approached what I do from a professional standpoint. I have been weaving in a little bit about the personal information because a lot of people seem to want to hear more about that. But I have found it's actually quite hard to share something so raw. And so I'm a little bit sensitive and selective in, in what I share. But yes, my dad is currently living in a group home. He's got some cognitive impairment, lots of health issues, heart issues, liver issues. It's been a big journey and adjustment.
0: I'm sorry to hear that.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: So um, you were so kind to fill out a form to help with our dialogue and and lots of great ideas here, lots of points. One of the points says no secret or tip or trick to dealing with dementia and loved ones. Uh, Thinking there is one that will make it easy makes things harder. What does that mean? Thinking? Yeah.
1: Yes, so a lot of times, and I totally get it, caregiving can be completely overwhelming and stressful and we're all looking for some quick tip or some quick trip trick or some generic approach. Like, what can I say or do with my loved one? And we have to realize that people with dementia are individual people. It's not a one size fits all approach. What one caregiver does to help get their loved one to bathe or shower might be different and most likely will be different than what another caregiver does to get their loved one to bathe or shower. And what works for you today might not work for you tomorrow. And so whenever we're looking for some sort of easy tip or trick, there's nothing wrong with that, but we Have to understand that's not the answer to uh, be able to solve every challenging caregiving situation and thinking that there is just like one tip or trick that's going to fix all your problems will make caregiving so much more difficult and stressful because it doesn't work that way. We're constantly going to have to be reevaluating what worked today. Why do I think that worked? Okay, that backfired. Why do I think that backfired? We want to filter it through our own brain based on our loved one's personality, based on you know how what we're able to do and what's reasonable for us. And so I think we get a little bit caught up in always trying to find the easy route that caregiving ends up becoming harder in the long run versus realizing caregiving will have challenges but there's absolutely so- solutions to working through those challenges. It just might not be that very first thing you try. That the solution might need to change frequently. So just keeping that mindset is really important.
0: Now, early on in the process, maybe before somebody is diagnosed, how do you, if let's say your husband or my wife is starting, starting to change their behavior, personality, and we're thinking, man, there might be something going on there, they may say, oh, well, you kidding, there's nothing wrong with me, right? So how do you, I did a podcast earlier with a physician, we were talking about that, it's how do you, if they're resisting, he's saying, try to get them diagnosed Early, yeah. But if there, we have a, a family friend who was just diagnosed with Lewy body disease, young guy in his sixties, mm. really heartbreaking. Mm. And his wife, from what we understand, was like in denial for like two years. So if she's in denial, he's probably not aware. I mean, are most people aware that have that are developing dementia? Are they even aware of what's going on? Can they can they look at themselves objectively and say, wait a minute, I just feel weird. I feel different.
1: Some people are aware and some people aren't. I think there's a misconception that once somebody has dementia, they don't know what's going on or they don't realize they're having problems. And that's not necessarily the case, especially in the early stages or mild stages. Many times people realize what's going on with me. Something's wrong with my brain. And in those cases, they might even be scared to go to the doctor to get an evaluation because they realize, oh my gosh, could I have this? What's going on? So you, it's, a, it's a spectrum. Again, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Some people will have no idea anything is going on. They It might look like denial. It's something called anosognosia. And then other people will realize something's going on. And that can be really heartbreaking because they are they become in distress and they might even say to their loved one, what's going on with me? Why won't my brain work? What's happening? So you see both.
0: What was that term you just said?
1: Anosagnosia.
0: Anosagnosia.
1: Yes. This is where it's a complete lack of awareness that there are any problems or difficulties at all. So the person with dementia has a complete lack of awareness that they have any trouble at all. They think they can still drive and work and, that everything is just totally fine. And to Mm. the family member, it might seem like they're in denial. And so the family member might try to show them evidence, might try to tell them they're diagnosed with dementia, try to reason with them uh, and uh, convince them that they need help, but it will never work because with that condition, it's just, they're never going to have that
0: awareness. And so back to the kind of the leading question before, uh, if we have a spouse, partner, that is in that way, and it's like, okay, how do I get them? And they're, you know, we start to argue, there's nothing wrong with me. don't tell me, I'm not gonna I don't need to go to a doctor. How do we get them to get them help?
1: Yes. So the topic of getting somebody uh, with dementia to accept help is a challenging one for so many people. One of the best tips I can ever say is that instead of trying to get the person with dementia to understand, why they need the help, just figure out how can I get them the help? So you're not solving for letting the person with dementia know, hey, I'm noticing some changes. You need to go to the doctor. This is why it's important. Instead, you're figuring out, okay, how do I get them an evaluation? How do I get them that help? And what that can do is that can shift the focus from trying to convince them to get an appointment to test their brain and test their health health, to, hey, it's time for our yearly checkup. I just made my doctor's appointment on this date. I made your doctor's appointment on this date. Sometimes when we put so much focus on, you need to realize you have problems. You need to realize there are limitations. We need to get it checked out. That can be really scary and off-putting for the person with dementia, even if they have awareness and they're like, I don't want to, I'm scared. So sometimes it's laying off this idea that um, they need to accept their limitations in order to get them the assessment. You could just frame it as it's time for, our annual checkup.
0: And so I guess it depends on how far along they are. And the, but would a family physician pick up on that in their, like if it was an annual physical, are there? You're spot on. They, they, it really
1: depends on how far along they are. Yeah. And what the family member can do is they can call the clinic ahead of time, let them know their concerns, ah. because it can be a difficult process to try to bring up your concerns in front of the person if they're not Mm. wanting to believe that or they don't believe that. So you can tip off the clinic ahead of time, let them know your concerns. You can slip a note to the nurse or doctor, you know, before or after the appointment to let them know your concerns. And depending on how far along they are, the primary care provider, Mm. they might feel confident enough in the information they have to make a diagnosis. And if not, they might refer them to a specialist.
0: And so coming from a physician, I would think for most people, it's going to have a lot more credibility, obviously, than a loved one saying, hey, you need help.
1: Right. Right. And I think the other thing that's important for everybody to know is when our loved ones start to show problems with their thinking, it might not be dementia. You you know, we're... Fears are coming up and we're going to the worst case scenario, but there are so many conditions, especially in old age, that I like to call dementia lookalikes, where mm. if we treat them or address them, their cognition might improve. Common ones include hearing. Poor hearing can look like dementia. Depression can look like dementia. Um, certain you know, imbalances, vitamin deficiencies can look like dementia. And so rather than laying on so thick, you might have dementia and we need to get this tested. Let's rule out any other possible cause for what we're seeing.
0: Yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. And and related to this, I believe uh, one of the videos we talked about the scenario, like real world scenarios. You're in the car with your mom. I'm not saying you, but we're in our car with our mom. And maybe she has early onset dementia or diagnosed with whatever. Would you say? Full dementia, is there such a thing? I don't want to misuse the term. Like, is there other stages of dementia? I assume.
1: Yes, there are stages of dementia. You have it or you don't. Dementia isn't the actual diagnosis. It's just a condition that indicates somebody's having problems with their thinking and functioning more than what would be expected for their age. And it, and it's nothing to do with, it's not contributed by something else. So there are specific types of dementia. Alzheimer's disease is the most common. That's why we hear about it the most. But we have Lewy body dementia, vascular dementia, and so on. So you either have it or you don't. However, there are like pre-dementia stages, something called mild cognitive impairment, where the person is showing thinking difficulties. They're starting to have problems in their day-to-day life, but it's not yet to the full extent of qualifying for a dementia diagnosis.
0: Hmm. And so one of the examples you gave was, let's say we're in the car with our mom and she's like, what are we doing? And and we're saying, well, you live here. This is your house. Yes. Can you, can you go through that? Uh, I thought it was incredibly helpful.
1: Yes. So I was working with a member inside of my care course program. And she was explaining to me how she was running errands with her mom all day. And she, at the end of the day, they got to their house and her mom didn't want to get out of the car because her mom didn't believe that was her house. Now, for most of us, we're going to jump back into the way that we normally communicate with people, which would be like, "Oh no, that's your house. We're here." But for the person with dementia who didn't believe that and didn't understand it, continuing to try to convince her mom that that was her house, wouldn't get her mom out of the car. Her mom was staying in the car. That's not my house. The caregiver tried to show, you know, the registration in the car. Look, that's the that's the address, and that's the address we have to go. But what? I worked with her on is rather than, try, and this is for anybody, anybody can apply this approach. It's really important. Rather than trying to get the person with dementia to understand what you understand, in this case, that is her house, you want to try to get the person with dementia to do what it is you want them to do. In this case, get her out of the car and into the house. So you have to focus instead on what do I want to accomplish? In this case, getting her in the house. How do I accomplish that? So for example, with this specific scenario that they just ran errands all day and her mom willingly went on all of these errands. So rather than trying to convince her that's her house, this happens to be another errand for the day because she had no problems getting out of the car for an errand. So the ultimate goal is achieved. Her mom goes into the house, but she didn't have to believe it was her house to get in there.
0: And then not to overthink it, but what if she's in there and and said, this is not my house?
1: Yep, this is just an errand. I've got to do a couple of things here. We're on our, we're finishing up an errand. I've got to cook dinner for these people. I have to do, you know, whatever it is that would make sense for her to do on this errand. Hmm. But one of the things I like to share with my care course members is when we start to, a person with dementia is going to have a really hard time showing distress if they are doing something they are pleasantly engaged in. Basically, if the person with dementia is pleasantly engaged in an activity that has their interest, that they seem to enjoy, it's going to be hard for them to be in distress about this isn't my house. So we don't just bring the person into the house and then assume we're done with this problem. We're done with the situation. It's now about, okay, what can I do to help bring comfort to this person? What can I do Hmm. to get them engaged in something? Perhaps the last errand is cooking a meal. And she gets her mom involved in setting the table or, you know, tearing up the lettuce. And then all of a sudden, we're on to something else. And her mom is feeling more comfortable in the location, and that start, starts to kind of drift away and go away. What we're not doing is saying, see, this is our house, and this is why we need to be here. We're, we're kind of letting that go away. It's it's an art of redirection. We talk about a lot about redirection and dementia. When somebody is focused on something and we want them to not focus on something, we want to redirect them to something else. But before you redirect them, you have to actually like hear them out hear what they're saying, calm them, Sue them. We don't We don't want them to say, this isn't my house, I have to go. And then we say, oh, look over here, there's birds outside. We want to talk, oh, this isn't your house. Oh, where do you want to go? Oh, that sounds like a lovely place. Tell me about it. Oh mm. my gosh, you know, I think I've been to a place like that before. I have a picture of it. Look at it here. And then all of a sudden you guys are going through a photo album. It's like a, it's it's the art of redirection. You're not just totally ignoring them and switching subjects. Wow. Well.
0: My uncle has dementia. And one of the visits, he was saying, Hey, Joe, I'm going to start my business again. I'm going to open up the business. And from what I learned, tell me if this is not the right way. I said, Oh, yeah, tell me about that. So this is something where I mean it's not, there's no harm. He's in in assisted living. I mean, in that if they're in a safe environment and they're not talking about anything negative or bad, can we just go with it? And just say tell yeah. me more
1: about that. That's a beautiful response. I think it's lovely. Sometimes the person with dementia will say they're doing things or something happened and it didn't really happen. Mm
0: -hmm. And in
1: those cases, just have the conversation with them, join their world. That's a really great approach whenever you can. We don't have to correct them when they say or do things wrong, so long as their safety is okay and nobody else's safety is risk is at risk, that's going to be the best approach because the more we correct somebody with dementia, the more strain it puts on your relationship with them, which is ultimately going to make it more difficult for them to want to accept any of your help in the future. And we know that as the disease progresses, they're going to need more and more of your help. So you're really trying to maintain a good relationship with that person as much as possible. And one of the easiest ways is just don't correct them on things like that. Have a lovely conversation. I think the way you responded to your uncle was beautiful.
0: Now I, I assume it depends. Everybody's different, but do they? If if we get into a situation where it's combative, one day on a Thursday, I get maybe it depends on each individual. But what's the likelihood that they're going to remember on Saturday that we had that conversation?
1: So sometimes that encounter. Excuse me. Yeah. So sometimes people think, well, my loved one's memory is so bad. What does it matter? And yeah, they might not remember. The specifics, they might not remember that that happened. They might not remember what you said and, and all of that, but they, over time, they generally remember the feeling they get when you're around.
0: Mm, mm.
1: So it's important that we're paying attention to the feeling they have when we're around. There will be times when we absolutely have to intervene. We absolutely have to say no. So we want to reserve those for the moments when it's really needed. It doesn't mean your whole relationship is ruined. And it and if you feel like you have a strained relationship now, you totally can rebuild it. It doesn't mean it's, you know, broken forever. There are things you can do to help revive the relationship. But yeah, they they might not remember the details but they remember how they feel when you're around. And so that's why it is important that we don't just assume, well they'll forget it, you know, after a while and I can do it again. It works to our advantage in some cases, they forget things and that's great and we can move on and we're going to, you know, have situations that pop up where the outcome is not what we want and that's okay, but we want to avoid that as much as possible.
0: What's the Maya Angelou quote? People will often forget what you say but they'll never forget how they felt as a result. Exactly,
1: right. And there's a, a an old like study so, so long ago from some French scientists, I'm forgetting the year, it might be like 1917. And this um, doctor was working with a, uh, a patient with really serious amnesia wouldn't remember the doctor at all. Five minutes later, he'd come and introduce himself. She had no idea. He'd reach out his hand, shake her hand, and it was like she was meeting him for the first time. Then he decided one day it's called a pinprick experiment. People can Google it if they want. He put a, a like a thumbtack in his hand, and he went to reach her hand, and of course it poked her, and so she pulled her hand back right away. Well, this woman with severe amnesia who couldn't remember him from five minutes later, the next time he came to meet her and he held out his hand to shake her hand, she would not shake his hand, even though she had no recollection of this doctor and what happened. That's amazing. Mm -hmm.
0: Is amnesia at all related to dementia, brain health, or is that like more as a result of a injury or something?
1: Yeah. So typically when we hear about amnesia, it's in association with some sort of traumatic brain injury. And amnesia can certainly happen in dementia, but with dementia, it's, we're talking about something where um, things are going to get worse. With a head injury, like a traumatic brain injury, where amnesia happens, there is a possibility that things will get better.
0: Hmm. And how long has dementia been around or has it, is it has it was there a certain time period where it really started to become prevalent based on society evolving?
1: Yes. So the first time I'm actually trying to look up his name, he's um, I believe a German, yeah, a German psychiatrist. And his name is it's basically how Alzheimer's came about. I'm not quite sure how to say his first name, Alois, A-L-O-I-S, but he first discovered this condition in 1906 with a patient wow. who you know, was having lots of the symptoms we know to be Alzheimer's disease today. And so 1906 is basically the first documented time when people started realizing this is something, this is a condition, and this is what we're putting the name on. And he didn't name it, by the way. One of his colleagues or mentees actually named it after him. But 1906 is the first date we have.
0: Assuming that the occurrences have just kept increasing and increasing, increasing over time. And again, is that because of the way we live our lives, whether it's lifestyle or.
1: Yeah, there's lots of different theories behind hmm. this. And I'm I'm not the expert in that, but there's, you know, we're living longer. So the biggest risk Hmm. factor for dementia is age.
0: So the,
1: the longer we live, the more cases of people with dementia we will have. So that's the biggest risk factor. There's also ideas about, you know, the toxins in the environment, how we live our lives. We're more sedentary than ever, you know, not really moving around. And we know exercise and physical health is really important to reduce dementia. So that's a, that's another big one.
0: Hmm. What is thought diet?
1: Oh, (laughs) I love, so we often, people talk about health and what diet to be on and all these things to stay healthy. Me, with my background as a clinical psychologist at the foundation, the most important diet for any caregiver to be on is something I call the thought diet, which means we have to be really mindful of what we put in our minds and what we think. What we think is absolutely going to determine how you feel, and it's going to influence how much success you have with your loved one. So if you are thinking to yourself, nothing ever works, my loved one's manipulative, this is so um, awful, this is too hard. You're likely going to feel hopeless, defeated, resentful. And that is going to come out in caregiving. Even if you're trying to hide it, it's going to make you feel more miserable And it's going to impact directly how you care for your loved one. So, being we don't want to lie to ourselves with thoughts, but I do think one of the most important things any human being can learn is how we talk to ourselves matters, saying things like, I'm committed to figuring this out. I'm doing the best I can. I'm human and it's okay that I make mistakes instead of, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that again. Or I should know better by now. We like our brains are our most important asset. And we have to pay attention to what's going on in them. Most of the time, we're running on default, not realizing that the very thoughts we're having is making our life and our caregiving and our relationships worse. Hmm.
0: That's great. So uh, anything else that you want to share before? Yes. there
1: is a lot of information online, and it can be really overwhelming for caregivers to like watch videos or read an article or hear a tip from another caregiver and try it themselves and be frustrated that it didn't work for their situation. It's really important, again, to realize it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. And if you hear nuggets inside of a tip or inside of an approach, to take the time to think, how might I apply this to my situation? For example, if somebody didn't want to take a shower or a bath and you heard the generic tip, we'll call it a spa day, but you're caring for your husband who's a farmer, immediately your brain might say something, that will never work. My husband would never go for that. That's ridiculous. But I want to encourage everybody to pause and think, well, how might I... How might I use this approach in my situation? So that could be, okay, so a spa day was enticing to their loved one. What might be enticing to my loved one? Maybe it would be we have company coming over or we have a nice dinner coming up. Maybe that would be something to get him to shower. Now, that's a very general example, but it's just a good thing to remember rather than throwing out things you hear because you automatically assume it won't work, just to take a moment to pause and start to train your brain to ask the questions like, well, how might it work? what could I change about this? And give it a try.
0: I have to think there are therapists who specialize in helping caretakers who really understand dementia and what they're going through.
1: Yes. I mean, there are prof- all kinds of professionals. I think the challenge will be finding a professional who has the specialty training in dementia caregiving in particular. But You know, Social workers can help, psychologists can help, psychiatrists can help, local support groups with people who don't have any healthcare or medical training can be able to help. Um, I have a personal program called the Care Course where we talk about challenges and situations all the time on a weekly basis. What are you doing? How did you respond? How did they respond? Okay, let's try this approach. There are so many different ways that you can go get help. It's out there. And if anybody is really searching for something and not sure where to start, you can, if you're in the U.S., look up your local area agency on aging and give them a call and see what's available in your community. And at the very least, there's hundreds of free training videos on my YouTube channel.
0: Great. So YouTube channel, is there a title? What's it? Caregivers? I'm sorry. It's
1: called Dementia Care Blazers. But if people go to www.careblazers.com, they'll be able to find it easily.
0: And then the course you mentioned, is it like a live. It sounds like a live?
1: Yes, program? it's both. It's basically mm-hmm. when people join, they get lifetime access to my programs, like the relationship revival and the behavior changer, basically teaching them the basic foundation of what they need to learn. But then we have a live component, which is weekly support groups. We have grief groups. We have live Q&As. And then we do uh, expert guest series like we have elder law attorneys come on and share things so we just listen to what they're looking for and then we just incorporate that in whenever we can.
0: That's amazing. Is that your full time gig, so to speak?
1: Yeah that's what I do full time.
0: Yeah that's great. And is that on the website access to that information on that on the your you can't just website? join
1: automatically but there is information if you watch some of the videos though it'll walk you through how you can apply and, and work with
0: us. Right. Natalie, Dr. Natalie Edmonds, thank you very much for uh, the great work you're doing and, uh, again, for adding value to our programming.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Joseph. Thank you for having me.
0: Be well. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening. I hope it was helpful. This is a monthly podcast, so check back, please, every month. We'll be bringing you new ideas and information to help you uh, with better health and navigate uh, dementia care. Do you have your umbrella guide yet? This is an awesome, easy to read document, 16 page filled with facts of understanding dementia, care planning, how doctors can help and ways to keep your brain as healthy as possible. You can get a free copy by going to 1-800-DEMENTIA.org or by calling 1-800-DEMENTIA. We're a national nonprofit. We're here to help you. And uh, please let us know how we can do that. All the best.